The Old Testament lesson for this, the third Sunday after Pentecost, is from the book of Ezekiel, the 17th chapter. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. We know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our earthly or our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson is from the gospel of St. Mark, the fourth chapter. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, At once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is a portion of the gospel lesson that I read to you earlier in the service. It's from Mark chapter 4, 
This time reading verses 26 through 29. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, our living Lord and Savior, who of us likes to be out of control? I certainly don't. Several years ago, when I was serving as a pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Colbrook, Ontario, I was driving through a wintry storm. I was on my way to visit a couple who had worshipped with us on Sunday morning. And yes, it was a stormy night. The snow was falling. The wind was blowing off Lake Ontario. Roads were icy and slick. And as I merged from one highway onto another highway, I hit a patch of ice. And I lost control of my car. And the car did a couple 360s. And as it did so, it also took out some road signs like toothpicks. They were snapping all around me. And the damaged car finally came to rest in a ditch. Well, I was able to get out of the car. And the guy who had been driving behind me had gone out of his car and he had run up to me. And he he said to me, he said, wow, was that ever cool? Can you do that again? Friends, there was nothing cool about being out of control. Let me tell you. You know, we live in a world that is obsessed with control. We want to control our health. We want to control our weight. We want to control our emotions. We want to control our household. We want to control our spouse, our children, our parents, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors. We want to have control over our investments, over our addictions, over our sins, over our future. And yes, some people even want to have control over death itself. But it doesn't take long for us to realize that the more that we try to control ourselves or control people around us or control situations in which we find ourselves, the more we realize that there are many things that are really out of our control. And it's really quite unnerving, isn't it? There's nothing cool about feeling like you're out of control. It's a daunting situation. In the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin is standing over a flower garden with a water can in his hand. And he says to the flowers, So you want some water, huh? Well, I've got a big can of it here. And it's up to me to decide if you get that water or not. I control your fate. Your very life is in my hand. And now Calvin is seen as pointing at that flower. He's looming over it. And he says, without me, you're as good as dead. Without me, you don't. 
And then the next scene, you see pouring rain coming down. And Calvin is being drenched. And the flower, the flowers are getting a good, healthy drink. So much for control. You know, we are also prone to wanting to control what God does in his kingdom. We may try to gain control of people and activities in our congregation so that the congregation reflects our preferences and goes in the directions that we want it to go. We may pray and we may witness to people who we know who do not believe in Christ as their Savior, and despite our best intentions and efforts, they remain uninterested. We may become involved in worthy endeavors to prevent the moral decay of our society only to see that our society continues to decay and deteriorate. We may invest a lot of effort into outreach activities into the community around us, but find that the growth of our congregation remains slow and stalled and stagnant and maybe even declining. We may put extra effort into overcoming addictions and habitual sins in which we find ourselves, and yet they continue, these sins and these, and these addictions continue to be our nemesis. And we recognize that we're not in control. Certainly not in control the way that we would like to be in control. The reason God's kingdom growth is out of our control in some ways is because the secret to spiritual life and growth lies in the seed itself. Life exists in God's word. The mysterious power of the seed is what Jesus is talking about in our gospel reading for today. God's word has its own life-generating power. Listen to these words again from our gospel reading where Jesus says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. All by itself. The Greek word is automata. We get our English word automatic from it. And this is what ecologists call the biotic principle. The biotic principle is defined as the inherent capacity of an organism, a species, to reproduce itself and survive. Now you and I know that no machine is inherently able to reproduce itself. For example, the coffee machine that I use to make my coffee today. That coffee machine can brew coffee, but it will never produce another coffee machine. But the coffee plant, that's another thing, isn't it? The coffee plant produces coffee beans, which in turn produce new coffee plants. The same is true for an apple, isn't it? An apple contains apple seeds, and those seeds, when planted in the ground, produce another apple tree. And you see, the fruit of an apple is not really another apple. The fruit of an apple tree is another apple tree. And it was God's intent when he created the world that his creation would be able to reproduce itself in this way. It's the secret of life. 
And so what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is that the capacity for church growth, for our own spiritual growth, lies not in the person who is sowing the seed, whether that be a child, a pastor, or even an angel, but the capacity for growth lies in the Word of God itself. God's Word has the inherent capacity to produce life. That is why Martin Luther said, there's no difference between the Word when it's uttered by a schoolboy or when it's uttered by the angel Gabriel. Venison, properly seasoned, prepared, well, it tastes as good in a wooden dish as in one in silver. Jesus' parable also helps us to know that we can control some things, but there are many things that we can't control. There are many things that we can do, but there are many things that we can't do when it comes to our spiritual life. Jesus says in our text, what, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. What does the farmer control? What is it that the farmer can do? Well, the farmer can improve the soil's health, can't he? The farmer can plow the, the soil. The farmer can clear the soil of stones. He can fertilize the soil. He can sow the seed generously. He can weed tenaciously. He can water, absolute, he can water abundantly. And the farmer, well, as he's doing that, he can also eat heartily and he can sleep soundly. It's absolutely necessary for the farmer to do these kind of things, to have an abundant harvest. These are the things that the farmer can control. But what the farmer can't control, what the farmer can't do is make the seed sprout and grow. The farmer has no control over the inherent life in that seed that he plants. The farmer can't produce the grain. Jesus says in our text that the inherent life, the biotic principle in the seed is that which produces first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. That's an important lesson for you and me as we serve as Jesus' farmers, if you will, in the world. Jesus sends us out into this world to sow the seed that is God's word in the community around us. And so as we do so, we take steps to get to know the community around us. We get to know the, the soil of the land, the lay of the land. And then he sends us out and we plow that land. We identify and remove the stones that we see that might be obstacles to people hearing the gospel from us. And then we sow God's word generously, scattering it everywhere that we can. And then we weed, and we water, and then we harvest. And all during that time, we can rest, we can sleep, and we can rise confident that the inherent life traits in the seed in God's word will produce the fruit which can be harvested in good time. We are to be faithful to what we can do and recognize the things that we can't do. 
Sadly, despite the fact that God has given us healthy seed that has this inherent quality to produce life, spiritual life in others where there is no life, there are a lot of farmers just standing around in their barns, standing around in the churches, waiting for the seed to be planted, but by someone else. They're waiting for someone else to do the weeding, the plowing, the watering, and yes, even sometimes the harvesting. Luther trusted God's word to do its life-generating work. He wrote these words. He said, And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. Luther's a little understated when he says, I did nothing. I mean, if you know anything about Martin Luther, you knew that he did everything that he could. He worked tirelessly for the Lord while the Lord gave him breath. I mean, he, he worked hard. He, he debted his life to the Lord. He wrote books after books after books. He wrote letters after letters to people. He composed hymns that people have continued to sing to this very day. He preached sermons daily. He lectured in the university on a daily basis. He translated God's word into German so the German people could read the word of God in their own heart language. And he always was talking. And you can read his table talks where people were just sitting there recording everything he said during supper times or lunch times, and those became his table talks. But he He was always seemingly sowing the word and weeding the ground and plowing it and preparing the way for the the word of the Lord to do its thing because he knew that the word of the Lord had this inherent quality of life within it. Luther knew what he could do, and he knew what he couldn't do. He knew what he could control, but he also knew what he couldn't control. as we look at our own lives, we recognize at one point we were that lifeless person. We were that dead soil, if you will. But then the word of God was planted in our hearts. For many of us, that happened when we were baptized, where we were brought to the baptismal font maybe as an infant, And we were lifeless. And God's Spirit spoke through that word that was spoken in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Spirit created life. And our heart of faith began to beat. For others of us, it may have come when we were, that that life might have started when we heard the word of God preached by someone or shared with with us by a family friend or maybe we were reading a Bible that was given to us by the Gideon organization. But somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit came into our life and created faith where there was none because that's the nature of God's word. It's it's life-generating. And so we have been very fortunate now to live that, that life and have that spiritual life in us and quite frankly, we have no control in some, in some ways over the, the life, the faith life that God creates in us. But what we do control is 
is making sure we're nestled nicely into this fertile soil. What we do control is making sure that we're having God's word sown into our life on a regular basis. That we're reading the Bible. That we're studying the scriptures. That we're making it a priority to place ourselves in a worship setting so that we might be fed by the spirit of the Lord. We can have control over repenting of our sin, confessing our sin to God and, and seeking his forgiveness. And yes, we can come to the Lord's table and partake of the very body and blood of Christ in which he feeds and nourishes and strengthens us in our faith. And yes, there are times where we just simply step back and rest, the Sabbath rest, if you will, where we just rest in the love and the forgiveness of Christ. Those are the things that we can control. But what we can't control is the spiritual life and growth, the spiritual maturity that the Lord works in us as he works, to, works with us in his, as he works in us through his word. The gradual growth of the kingdom is replicated in the life of the individual Christian. Norman Pittenger, in his book, Life as Eucharist, writes, the gradual growth of good habits, the formation of a new self, will come to us through never-ceasing exposure to the love of God as we experience it in Eucharistic worship and enter wholeheartedly in the life of fellowship with the brethren. You see, the capacity for us to grow and mature spiritually lies in the Word of God itself. It's not by willing ourselves to be more spiritual or thinking more positively or envisioning or willing ourselves to be more loving, kinder, more patient, gentler, more joyful, more faithful, or more self-controlled. No, that is why those traits are called by St. Paul as fruits of the Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit through the powerful, life-generating Word of God that produces those fruits in us. That's why Martin Luther says in his explanation to the third article, the Holy Spirit is one who calls me by the gospel. He enlightens me with his gifts and he sanctifies me. And he keeps me in that one true faith. It's the Holy Spirit who sanctifies me and sanctifies you. You and I have no control over that sanctification in the sense of saying, God, work this more in my life. But what we can control is placing ourselves in the Word of God. And I know that what I speak of can be absolutely frustrating. Frustrating when we don't see the spiritual growth and development in us, when we don't see that maturity in us that, that we so desperately pray for and crave. It can be a source of spiritual distress, can't it? It can even be defeating. But please hear this. Despite the fact that we may wrestle with our spiritual growth and maturity, despite we, the fact that we may not see the growth and spiritual maturity that we've been praying for and that we would hope for, the reality is that you and I are still loved and forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. Our justification, the fact that we are declared forgiven of our sins, is not dependent on our spiritual life of sanctification. 
We do not turn to our works and say, this is how I know whether I'm saved or not. No, we turn to the work of Christ on the cross. And there we know that on the cross, he died for our every sin. And so we place ourselves in those areas where God's spirit can work in our life, and it is a lifelong process. It never ends until the day we die. What is true for us is also true for others as well as we minister to other people. Yes, the Lord sends us. He sends us out to our family and our friends. And all of us have family and friends and neighbors and co-workers that we so desperately want to see, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And over the years, we have prayed for them. We've invited them to church. We've witnessed to them through our words. We've maybe given them tracts. We've been there just to love them as they've gone through terrible times in their life. In a sense, we have been sowing and we've been weeding and we've been watering. And we've been doing all the things that we can do. But the fruit seems to be non-existent. And we wonder, what am I doing wrong? Well, when we begin to ask that question, then we're maybe asking the wrong question because now we're going into the realm of things that we can't control. We can control the sowing, the weeding, the planting, but it's up to the Spirit of the Lord to create the faith in the heart of the person. It's the Holy Spirit's work to absolve that person of their sins so that they believe in Christ as their Savior. It's the Holy Spirit who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies and keeps us in that one true faith. And so it's so important for us to know as we relate to other people what we can and cannot do and what is in the realm of the Holy Spirit of what he will do as he works through the word. God just simply asks us to be faithful. To be faithful in sowing and weeding and the like. Being patient and confident that God's word will produce that which God's word can do. It's God's word that can bring about the stalk and then the head and then the full kernel. Leave that to the Lord. Just do what you can do. And so in many ways, God's kingdom, God's kingdom growth, it's really out of our control. Oh, as I've said, we can control some things, but really the spiritual growth and development in our life and in the lives of other people, well, that's, that's in God's control. And thankfully, the growth of God's kingdom is in his control. Because we know what kind of God we have. We have a God who desires the salvation of everyone. That everyone would believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let's pray. Lord, plow the trodden way and clear the stone away. Tear out the weed and sow the seed. Prepare our hearts your word to heed that we good soil may be. Begin, O Lord, with me. Amen.